0: This week on A Lively Experiment, the future of the Pawtucket Soccer Stadium is in doubt after one of its public partners puts its financing on hold. And the number of candidates hoping to replace Congressman Cicilline grows. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has
1: provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS.
0: Joining us on the panel, Emily Lynch, political science professor at the University of Rhode Island, Bill Bartholomew, founder of the Bartholomew Town podcast, and Providence Journal State House reporter Patrick Anderson. Hello and welcome to Lively, I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to be back with you again. The city of Pawtucket hit the pause button this week on its portion of a public financing package for Tidewater Landing, putting the future of a project that includes a signature 10,000 seat soccer stadium in question. Financial instability and steep interest rates increases have made an already narrow margin for borrowing even more challenging. Patrick, let me begin with you. You had a story that hit this morning, we're taping on a Friday morning, that this may just be the tip of the iceberg.
2: Yeah, it's happening everywhere across the country and the financial conditions with interest rates rising just makes it really difficult to finance big projects. And it's it's hitting on multiple levels. Interest rates are going up but also construction costs have gone up. And with Silicon Valley banks collapse, lending is tightening as you have banks getting skittish and they're being watched by depositors. And so they're pulling back. And if you're something like the developers of the Pawtucket soccer stadium, your, your numbers to make your project work are getting more difficult. And, and basically what's happening there is they need a loan to finance part of that project. They've got help from the state. They're putting a lot of uh, investor money in, but part of the package to pay for a 120 plus million dollar stadium is getting a bank loan. And right now, either the bank won't make that loan or the interest rates are exorbitant. Um, and so that hasn't closed. And so the state and the city, which are also committed to putting some financing in, don't want to put tax dollars and commit tax dollars into something that they know doesn't have enough financing to actually be completed. So yet. the
0: public money comes in on the back end.
2: It will it'll come in at the same time. There are two, there's a public loan that the, the city and the state want to close at exactly the same, on exactly the same day as the private bank loan. And they're just waiting for that private piece to come in. And so that's that's kind of the logjam that's holding things up. In the meantime, the developer is uh, has spent around they say twenty five million um, and is, is in the ground. Yeah, is putting it. There's concrete in the ground. They have put in a foundation. The question is, is how how long can they go if they don't get this financing? Some point uh, they will run out of that cash, and then what happens?
0: Well, this is one of the fears all along. You get into the project, and then maybe the financing is is tenuous enough that it might be a problem.
3: Right. And I think it makes, I think the mayor made a good decision to halt it at this point, um, in the interest of the, the taxpayers. Um, and we see this happening not only with construction, um, jobs, but also, uh, even at the, the, the local level at the, in the personal level, family level, where making decisions right now are tough with an, an um, an increase in the interest rate of making decisions of buying cars or um, buying a a home.
1: Well, I completely agree. It's that fiscal conservatism that is sometimes, you know, people roll their eyes, but you've got to make those tough decisions, whether it's on the personal level or the macro level. I spoke with Mark Blythe this week, the renowned economist from Brown University, basically on the, the banking situation and yes, Silicon Valley Bank is certainly in its own silo, but the, the contagion, if you will, that would come from that is just, as Patrick described, a tightening of lending and additional scrutiny around the banking sector. That is just part of the pie of economic downturns, if you will, that are, you know, probably going to put this stadium on pause. In fact, the speaker Shikarchi yesterday told Dan York on his television show that the stadium project is paused. So you heard it from the, the, the man.
0: But but Governor McKee and uh, Mayor Greby had gave it the dreaded, uh, you know, uh, endorsement, basically saying, yeah, it's going full steam ahead. We talked about other things, though. The Superman building and you've got a couple of high schools, right, in Warwick and Pawtucket. How does this affect those?
2: everything's going to be more difficult to do. There are going to be some cost-benefit questions going on at at city councils, um, as well as in boardrooms and those kind of places. Um, I mean, basically, if if you have a, if you just passed a bond, if you're a voter, who just approved a school project or a multi-school project, you're probably looking at uh, the amount of money you, you approve to spend, not going quite as far. Maybe it pays for one less school or a smaller school, something like that. And then you've just got the larger projects, um, like there's the Metacomet uh, one in East Providence, stuff like that. We don't know what's happening with that. There, The, the economics don't work quite as well for all of those projects. So. Do they get scaled back? Are they a little smaller? Do they wait? Are things going to get, if they wait, are they going to get better or worse? Um, I mean, right now we're in Mm -hmm. that, we're in that cycle where because there's inflation and it's persistent, the Fed keeps raising rates and trying to slow things down. But that is right now is just in kind of a, a cycle that's really hitting real estate and construction in particular.
0: Just finally on this bill, Former soccer rec- referee, you've you've hung up your cleats, right? <laughs> My cleats are hung up. Too many crazy parents, right? Uh,
1: too, way too many crazy parents. I think it's a major problem. I did referee in the USL, the league that's coming to Tidewater. But
0: and, let's and, say in a perfect world this does go through. They figure yeah. it out somehow. And how have you felt about this project overall? Do you think there's enough public support and people putting money into tickets to be able to make it go? Well, I think if we're being completely
1: honest about it, I think it's an uphill battle. Look, you've got legacy programs like Providence College basketball, URI basketball that aren't full stadiums or arenas all the time unless you have an excellent season happening. There's no tradition it's so on and so forth. But the project as a whole with the A and the B side, I think that um, in league with other ideas around the Blackstone Valley, it can be an effective activity. Uh, Is it gonna be a sold out stadium with people waving the yellow flags and crying, you know, when whoever scores the first goal for FC Rhode Island, will we see FC Rhode Island tattoos and, you know, people upset when, you know, the team loses or anybody caring about the team,
0: I don't know. Maybe. All right. We shall see. Uh, folks, get out your scorecard in the, in the CD1 race. Uh, since we were last with you, we've had two major announcements of people who were not running. Helena folks, who ran for governor, and House Speaker Joe Sakarchi. Since then, we've had a pile of people, uh, and we'll talk about that. We can list them as we go along. Emily, as you look at this race, um, it's, it, to, to me, it's interesting that folks and Sakarchi who had the most money and the no, most name recognition, are not. So how does that affect the race?
3: Right. I think it opens it up for other potential candidates um, where we see that um, Sabina Matos as well as um, uh, Sandra Kano, uh, have put in their their names um, quite recently and others as well. Um, But I think, you know, we were kind of waiting to see if folks has a lot of of money, right, to to put into, um, or at least she did in the the governor's race. So um, I think that definitely um, has changed kind of the the race.
0: And this is a race, though, from a political science standpoint. It's a short window. You don't need a ton of money, probably not a lot of outside money. And you could win. You don't need 50 percent to get to the beyond the primary
3: right exactly so i mean i think that leads to some discussions as to maybe some uh reforms election reforms because of that because we may have a tight uh, or a, a pretty um large field within the the democratic party for that primary
0: so name recognition and money at this point Uh, I mean, Sabina Matos has the name recognition, but I'm not sure up and down. I mean, how would she play on a Quidnick Island? Right. How many people can tell you who the lieutenant governor
1: of Rhode Island is if you went out to somewhere on Memorial Boulevard in in Newport and asked that question? Probably not that many. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's going to be a tight election. I think the, you know, with the speaker stepping out, with Helena Bonanno folks likely deciding, hey, look, I don't want to take a chance of losing a second major election in less than a year. I honestly think you get into a situation where you have Sabina Matos versus Don Grebian as your headline over the course of the summer. With a do sp- you
0: think Grebian's
1: in? Oh, I, I think so for sure. I, I really do, especially with everything going on. in Would they still
0: let him come back and cut the ribbon if he's uh, the congressman? <laughs> I think they <laughs> if would. Goes
1: Absolutely. But there's another candidate that is that is looming, so to speak, and that's Gabe Amo, who comes from the Raimondo administration, now in the Biden White House. Look very well connected at the, at the state level, the municipal level, the federal level. The big difference between him and the politicians, or I should say elected officials, is that if you lose that race and you're Sabina Matos or you're Don Grebian, you get to go back to your job the next day. You still get to be lieutenant governor. You still get to be mayor. For someone like a gay Amo or anybody else in the private sector, you basically have to give up your job and then... Who knows what happens if you don't win? But
0: how does he play in Portsmouth? I mean, we know who he is. There's some people who have no idea. And in a short race with name recognition, that's a, that's a heavy lift for somebody like Gabe Amo.
2: Well, the key for him is that he has connections in Washington and can probably raise a pile of money. Um, I mean, that's speculative because he's never run. But, um, you know, knowing that he comes out of the Raimondo school um, and has all kinds of connections in the White House, I think it's probably safe to say. So his name recognition would come by advertising. Uh, kind of like Helena folks last year, I don't think her name recognition was very high at all going into it. And after um, a, you know, a lot of ads over the course of the summer, it, w- it was pretty decent and she got very close to taking down the governor. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, to Bill's point, the, the field just is not set yet. We're, I, I think, you know, probably while I'm speaking, someone else is announcing. (laughs) And so we just don't know if- When do you think it's going to shake out? When I- April, May? I think, yeah, I think by then. I think the next couple of of weeks are just going to see more candidates and some of those big, big decisions like Gabe. I mean, it's a big decision for him to make. It's, it's, he's in a good place now and he'd have to give that up, but there are other candidates, you know, you can have candidates from the private sector, Um, who might not have to give up uh, as much, who could come in and might be privately wealthy. Um, uh, There are uh, folks like Liz Parrick um, uh, out there. So I think until we know kind of how the the, the lanes are set, we don't, it's really hard to to forecast. Go
3: ahead. Um, I, I would just like to like add that, you know, we're talking about name recognition and when we look at the list so far, It's Lieutenant Governor Matos, who has won a statewide election. Um, so people are more familiar with her in, in certain areas, right, across the state. Um, and we can look back to Bob Wigand, um, went from Lieutenant Governor to being a U.S. rep in the late 90s. So I think that, um, that Matos does have that, um, advantage.
0: What do you make of, so Sabina Matos is in Senator Cano. And Maria Rivera is talking about potentially in CF. So you have three Latina candidates. And I wonder whether that's kind of a strength in numbers or whether that splits the vote.
3: Right. So the response, which we've heard on in the the media is, well, is that being discussed for men in, you know, why is there there a focus of uh, three Latinas? Because
0: it's apples Uh, and oranges, in my mind.
3: Okay. All right.
0: I, I don't know. What do you think? Is it not?
3: I, I, I think that um, I think that we could look at the, the the group and I don't know if it's necessarily yeah it's it's definitely you're going to split the vote with multiple candidates I guess the way I definitely, see it is there are
0: plenty of white guys in Congress and if you put up a bunch of white guys there I mean that's kind of the, the, what stands out here is you have three good Latina candidates and that's a novelty. So, and you know, Sabina Matos has said, we need to have more diversity in Congress. I would be the first Latina. Well, so then why isn't Sandra Cano or Maria Rivera equally qualified if you're looking just for the diversity?
2: Right. I mean, there's, there's going to be, there's vote splitting with everyone, especially with a field this big. The, the, the thing that each candidate needs to do, no, no, no matter, uh, you know, uh, who they are, is differentiate themselves. Uh, is is get that name recognition and then claim a section of the electorate um, that's yours and and give people a reason to vote for you, and that's what all of the candidates are are going to do are going to have are going to be faced with with something this uh, crowded. We don't have anyone really from the left uh, entered yet. That's another thing that is probably going to happen. Someone will probably jump in who's who's uh, more of a a true progressive? You know, how does that change things? Um, So all all of that is going to shape how this race plays
1: out. Totally agree. Disorganization, the so-called progressive civil war manifesting right now, an inability to rally around a single candidate that has a pathway to victory that can tap into the mainstream, but something else to watch as well. And it was funny because there was a photo that I zoomed in on from the Providence St. Patrick's Day Parade where Governor McKee is in the middle of, of this portion of the photo to his right, Mayor Grebien, to his left, Sabina Matos. Where does the governor land? Not necessarily out in public, but behind the scenes. His lieutenant governor, who he handpicked and basically ran a, a campaign with despite some tension, or the, mayoral, the northern Rhode Island mayoral peer group portion of, of the
0: political scene, which would feature Don Grebien. Where does land? That's a big thing as well. Yeah. And the other thing is money. You don't, I mean, you don't have to spend a pile of money, right? It's on a pretty short, I mean, there were millions of dollars that came in in the cd too. You could get out probably with under a million dollars. What do you think? Potentially.
2: Maybe? Depending on who you are, if and you have name recognition, you don't have to spend as much. If you don't, you might have to spend a lot of money because no one knows you.
0: And then finally, the Republic, will there be a Republican candidate? That's a question. I don't know. You think?
3: Yeah. Uh.
2: I think I think there will, but they're not, yeah. they're not uh, lining up and jumping. At it. it's, it's kind of seen as a chore at the, at the moment. And Alan
0: Waters say, became
1: a Democrat, right? You got that Alan Waters. Is he from Massachusetts? Is he from Rhode Island? Is he running for Senate? Is yeah, he running is he? for rep. Who is he? What is he? And why is he involved? Um, you know, he won't even qualify for the debates. All
3: right. I think um, Bill made a good point about Governor McKee. Who is he going to support, and who are, where are these endorsements? Who are we going to see? I think that's going to be powerful for um, this race. Who are the, you know, which, which unions are going to support which candidate? That's we should pay point. attention to that.
0: Well, and I also wonder, would he sit out? Would Governor McKee say, well, maybe I don't want because what if he, what if he does not endorse Sabina Matos, and then he has to be in those meetings if she doesn't win the, you know, the other four years? A little awkward, right? Well, so. you
2: can just do what Gina did with him. Yeah, he Lose did. his phone freezing number.
1: Yeah, Problem solved. solved.
0: All right. A uh, coalition of environmental groups is trying to get some momentum for a so-called bottle bill. That would be putting a deposit down on every can or glass or whatever you buy uh, beverage. Uh, they're trying to clean up the environment. I talked with Jed Thorpe, who is the Rhode Island Director for Clean Water Action this week. He told me a little bit about what they're trying to do up at the Statehouse. Here's part of our interview. Bottle bills have met with varied levels of success. None have passed since I've been here. What makes you optimistic this year?
4: Yeah, good question. Um, So I think we're at a point now where legislators recognize that the plastic pollution problem, beverage container pollution, only continues to get worse. We have data from the past, you know, 30, 40 years, from shoreline cleanups and volunteer cleanups that show pretty clearly that what we've been doing isn't working. We gotta, we gotta do better. We gotta do things differently because when you capture containers, uh, like you do in a beverage container recycling system, uh, they're much more likely to actually be turned into new bottles. As opposed to right now, um, you know, things that you put in the single stream system, a lot of those containers aren't actually recycled. Um, and so we gotta do better on recycling as well. And again, a bottle bill addresses both of those problems. I think the things that are really important are having a $0.10 cent deposit fee versus, say, a $0.05 cent deposit. The data is pretty clear that the states like Michigan and Oregon that have the $0.10 cent fee have much higher uh, redemption rates. $0.10 cents across the board for everything? Yeah, $0.10. Including cents. NIPS? Including the NIPS. So the NIPS would be included in this bill, which we think is really important. Um, but NIPS have been a big deal the last couple of years. There's been a lot of attention paid to them. Um, they're problematic because they're small enough that they can slip down into the storm drains. Which then create a maintenance problem for municipal staff who have to go in there and clean these things out. And they also, they can't be effectively recycled out in Johnston at the at the materials resource facility,
0: as you know, it's always what juice you have up at the state house.
4: Um, I think support is building. and so we you know we're optimistic that this is the year that we can figure it out and finally, you know, crack that nut here in Rhode Island and actually get a bottle bill done.
0: You can watch our entire conversation with Jed Thorpe of Clean Water Action on Rhode Island PBS YouTube page. Bill, let me begin with you. There's only so much bandwidth up at the State House, and while this sounds good, we got affordable housing flying, we got the budget and everything else. Uh, he says that he's starting to meet with the state leaders, but I wonder whether we have the stomach for a bottle bill
1: this yeah. year. Yeah, what, what does that coalition really look with? You know, for me, my first engagement with Rhode Island politics was when I was like six or seven years old getting a certificate from now Council for President, then Town of Charlestown, Council President Mike Downey for picking up garbage off of the road in Charlestown. You know, so my whole life I've seen the disgusting behavior that people engage in of throwing litter into waterways on the streets. I think it's a terrible thing. I think it's an embarrassing thing. At the same time, you know, would people gather their bottles and bring them to wherever they got to deposit them to get, you know, $1.80 dollar eighty every month or whatever it is, you know, I, I'm not sure. It's just, It. I think it's more of a commentary at this point of, you know, take a look around and and ask yourself, you know, what kind of world do you want to live in? A world Did you try
0: to get on Lively Experiment when you were six? You sounded like you were very politically active <laughs> I believe
1: I, 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 maybe I should have been on the old carpeted set back in the <laughs> day. <you know? laughs> that would have been great, the semicircle.
0: What about the bottle bill?
3: Um, well, if, I believe in, at uh, Governor McKee's inauguration, He talked about litter, right? That was something he discussed. We see um, Mayor Smiley talking about kind of these practical politics, like of keeping our our roadways clear, clean. We can also consider like the blue economy as a big push in Rhode Island. Um, This is cleaning up our waterways. This is a big part of that. I don't know if it's going to gain traction this year in the General Assembly, but I think we'll continue to see this come up um, and maybe we'll see some change in the future.
2: Yeah, I think the bottle bill is a tough one because it involves money. It's 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 a it's a big lift. Um, the things that they've been more interested in that, that play better or easier uh, up at the state house are things like mandates that you don't have to pay for uh, and aren't enforced. Remember, we have a straw ban. Um, you've probably gotten a plastic straw in the last couple without days without even asking for <laughs> without it. Without even asking. Right? So stuff like that. That's they they much prefer things like that that are very light touch. Um, but the only thing I'll say is there is some pressure on NIPS. They, they have talked a lot about doing something about NIPS and have um, will face a credibility gap if they do nothing about NIPS uh, yep. this year. That's
0: David Bennett's big deal. He tried to do that. I wonder, though, so from a practical standpoint, the money flow here is the reason the beverage industry has been so against this is they have to put up 3.5 cents per can. And so that's where the bottle in the beverage industry's always had a pretty heavy lobby, but I was thinking about this practically. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So if you have uh, even if I don't want to pick it up or do the 180, maybe you have people taking that, collecting, going, you know, 500 bottles or whatever. If you don't want to put the deposit back, maybe somebody picks that up on the side of the road. What do you think about that?
3: Right. I think that's a a great idea, and you could see maybe Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, making that a project For a right? right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe maybe that's the the route.
1: It's also, it, you bring up a great point, which I ignored completely in, in thinking about this. It's, it's an industry in New York City, you know, and people work very, very hard going to recycling bins, picking up litter, and it's, it, it does incentivize sort of a DIY uh, small business to go collect these bottles. So, you know, I think, That, with taking that in consideration, there may be more of a practical nature to it. I still don't think it gets through this year, though.
0: I also wonder practically, Patrick, is that, so I put out my cans. Is somebody going to be rifling through my recycle bin? right? If I'm not returning them for, and that's fine if, you know, once it hits the curb, but then there's also the amount that resource recovery is going to sell that on the market. So there seems to be a downstream economic impact that I'm not sure everybody's fully looking at.
2: Yeah. Well, and if you're looking at it just at a political perspective, and you mentioned people uh, going through your trash, you know, do politicians want folks with the shopping carts full of, um, or even larger, full of cans pushing them down the street? They might think that's a bad look. I know some people do in New York uh, and not want Even that. in New York, Bill, right? <laughs> even in New um, York. So, yeah, even that, there are two sides to it, uh, it you know, if you're, if you're a politician looking for votes.
0: All right. Let's go to uh, outrageous and or kudos. The show is moving quickly. Professor Lynch, let's begin with you this week.
3: Yeah, I would like to um, say a kudo to Senator Jack Reed for securing a new um, center from, for NOAA to Newport, bringing it from Virginia to uh, to Newport, from Virginia to uh, Rhode Island and bringing new jobs to the state. That's a big
0: deal, right? It is. And was that in question because they're bringing it, 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 they're moving it away from Virginia? Is it a creation of a new site? Do you know?
3: Yep. So it's a moving from Norfolk, Virginia to, to Newport to That's the, great. I believe, the, the Naval. There's
0: always been that, uh, so. there's always been that competition a little bit with Newport News, right? So. Right. So, one for Rhode Islanders. What do you have, Bill? Sometimes you get a window into the problems that we
1: have and, and the way a certain person thinks. We had a great example of this last week where situate Republican uh, Bobby Quartraci asked Rebecca Kislack, Representative Kislak, if she was a pedophile in a conversation on an equity bill. you got to watch the tape to get the full context. But, you know, what was even more embarrassing was the ensuing, you know, lack of an authentic apology in the moment and subsequently across the media from Quartracci and then not to be outdone, Minority Leader Mike Chippendale produced what has to be, to his credit, uh, something that he believes is equivalent to the Declaration of Independence and you can almost picture him with a tri-cornered hat standing on top of some hill out in Foster Gloucester uh, screaming this to the wind, you know, condemning uh, Joe Shikarchi for removing Quartracci from that committee, that he said that ridiculous comment on, you know, that it sets a dangerous precedent. And it, you know what it shows you? It shows you the Republican Party in Rhode Island is a disorganized, um, basically non-existent, irrelevant group of, unfortunately, mostly people who appear on the surface to just be complete fools at this
0: point. It's almost like the old Ed Dupree back in the late 80s, I'm dating myself, he, he ran a commercial in one of his campaigns. I'm sorry if you're offended. <laughs> Almost like it's your fault, right? If you're offended, well, then I'll offer up an apology. It's, it's,
1: it really is too bad. I've talked about this extensively before. The state needs a bipartisan, and I mean that as in two-party system at play, and there are good people who are Republicans in Rhode Island. There really are, and they should be out in front instead of the complete and utter nonsense that we've seen over the last week.
0: Patrick, you get the last minute.
2: I will follow up with a, a micro outrage uh, courtesy uh, of Ooh, my a colleague. micro outrage? Yes, I like my, that. <laughs> courtesy of my colleague Kathy Gregg, uh, who reports that at the state library at the state house, the media is no longer allowed to directly communicate with and get information from the state librarian. State librarian who, who are great, who are awesome, and and help us out a lot. We now have to go through the Secretary of State's uh, public relations apparatus to transfer the information, the records of history uh, to the media. Um, And I don't think that's a good idea. Any reason given for that? (laughs) No. um, I think that's just the way that modern communicate, modern comm shops operate. Yeah, in, in these
0: days. Well, and the and the librarians are always Switzerland. They don't want to be in the middle of any of this, right? They, they just want to drop, give you the information. They're not right? dropping
2: hot takes no matter yeah.
0: what. We <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think about this? Uh, I don't know. So, all right. That is good, folks. It is a quick uh, half hour. Thank you so much for joining us. Bill, good to see you, Emily and Patrick. Folks, join us back here next week. We are in the heart of the legislative session, and you never know who's going to announce for CD1 over the next week, but we will have it covered. Join us back here next week as The Lively Experiment continues.